Lord, we want to know you. We want to experience the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives. We just pray, God, that you would breathe your breath in and through us. God, that you would be bringing those dry bones back to life. Forgive us, God, for the times where we are so dry, where we don't seek you in our lives. Forgive me, God, for the times that I don't. I need you, God. I need you more than I need my next breath. And I just pray that you would just show yourself to us today to be real, to be powerful, to be alive, because that is who you are, God. We love you, God, and we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, church, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors here at Anderson Hills. So glad just to get to share with you today about how the Holy Spirit works in our lives, works in our churches, works in our country, in in our region here, in our city, uh, that, that God is alive and on the move. I want to talk to you about revival in the church. And revival simply is a spiritual awakening that is the work of God. It's not like a church program that you just begin or start or something like that. It's not something we manufacture. It's simply the work of God. Uh, when, when God calls us out of sin, God calls us out of spiritual stagnation. God calls us out of the same old, same old. He calls us out of self-reliance. He calls us out of all these kinds of things and draws us to himself. Revival is, is not just a feeling, although maybe it involves feeling. Uh, revival is more than a, a sermon, although it may involve sermons. It's more than songs, although it may involve songs. It's more than miracles, although it may involve miracles. It's the work of God. It's the work of the Holy Spirit moving in and through people. Revival is the powerful work of the Holy Spirit in a group of people. We experience God often individually, and revival comes when God's doing that uh, in and through a group of people. Uh, I had the experience, I've had the experience of re- experiencing this uh, different times in my life. Uh, the first time was when I was in high school. I attended a uh, Christian school, it was a pretty large school, and it was, uh, it was definitely formative in my experience growing up. I was, I was a junior, and that, my junior year was, a, honestly, it was a tough year at our school. We had uh, our senior class, the class above me, uh, was a class that, that was led by a group of folks who, uh, students who either were not Christians, or if they were, there was really no evidence of faith in their lives. And and there was just a lot, a lot of bad stuff going on at school this, that year. And you know, just a couple examples. I remember that we would have every year a spring banquet. Like, it, it wasn't a prom, okay, because the Baptist had taught us that you can't have dancing, right? That's, that's evil. Because if you, everybody knows if you have premarital uh, dancing, that often leads to premarital card playing. And... <laughs> That's not a risk we want to take, you know. So anyway, spring banquet, we would elect every year a, a king and, and queen, right? The seniors would vote on this, someone from their class. Well, there was a girl who was not popular in the class, a girl that they would always pick on and make fun of, and they conspired together as a class to elect her to be queen just so they could make fun of her when her name was called. Imagine that. It's one thing to be bullied by a few people. That hurts enough, but to know that literally the majority of your peers conspired together just to humiliate you. 
This was the, what was going on at a Christian school. Or another, another instance, uh, seniors every year, they would raise a lot of money to go on a big senior trip. They would raise like tens of thousands of dollars, right? It's a big deal at our school. And they'd been doing that. They'd been working on it. Uh, but that, the seniors that year were not able to go on a trip because a number of students in the class literally stole all their class fund at a Christian school. It's like felony-level theft here, right, at a Christian school. So that's what we were having that year. Well, every year we'd have this week called Spiritual Emphasis Week. It was simply a week where we'd have chapel in the morning for like about 45 minutes uh, every single day of the week. It happened each spring. It, it, was, it was good, but it was never anything really like that big of a deal. It was just some extra chapel services. So that year we, we started having that week. There was a guest speaker, a preacher from uh, New York City. He was a missionary there who had been, uh, he had been living the life of a gang member, and Jesus had called him out of that, had saved him. He said such a powerful testimony. It was just amazing to hear how God had, had used, was using him and changed him. And I remember we came in that, that day, and, and our student band was leading worship, as they would often do, and the speaker was to speak. And I remember there was just, there was just a sense of the Holy Spirit in there in a powerful way. Just hard to describe, but just this, like, just feeling that, like, God is here in a way that's just, just different. And we, we had chapel, and it was, it was good. It was powerful. The, the speaker gave an invitation to, to uh, repent of sin and to, to turn to Jesus, and, and a couple of students gave their lives to Jesus. It was awesome. Like, we had not seen that kind of thing in our school that year. And it, and it was like, wow, God's, God's doing something here. And we had a, uh, the, the, clo- the band had come up to do the closing song. And I remember that during this song, I saw a kid get up from, from the back of the room and walk down the bleachers, walking towards the, towards the front during this. And, and this kid, he was like one of kind of the ringleaders of that class, one of the kids who had been a leader in bringing just some of the most negative stuff. And I remember thinking, eh. Here goes that moment, right? As he, he, he marches up to the microphone and he takes it and he says, all right, listen up. I know that a lot of you hate me. I've done a lot of stuff that I shouldn't do. I've bullied you. I've judged you. I've stolen from you. But today God touched me and I'm sorry. I just want to say that I'm sorry. And he stepped to the side, and the speaker came up, and he prayed for him right there in front of all of us. And he prayed for God's forgiveness. And then another student came up, and another student, and then a teacher, and others. We would continue like this until lunchtime where they dismissed us and we went to go eat lunch and we were eating lunch but students brought guitars into the cafeteria we began to sing just impromptu praising Jesus during lunchtime and then we went back into uh to chapel again not again none of this on the plans and we went and the rest of the day we prayed and we sang and this uh, all throughout the day we came back the next day the exact same thing all day long that evening there was a a bonfire that some students had decided to have and at this bonfire, students brought in stuff that they wanted to get out of their lives. 
and here at this uh, Christian school, all, all sorts of just yucky stuff, just vulgar stuff, pornography, alcohol, drugs, literally witchcraft books. We had students at a Christian school practicing witchcraft brought these things just to throw into the fire and to burn. I mean, you should have seen the principal's face watching this stuff going up in flames. Throughout that week, we would continue in this kind of way. And, and yeah, eventually we had to get back to class and all that, but, but it was a changed place. There would be students from our school for over the next year that would go out on little mini mission trips to other Christian schools around the country and uh, just simply to tell the story and to pray for that school. And we would see other versions of that revival popping up in other places. And it was incredible. God called people to ministry, and there's a number of people uh, from, from my class, from my school, who are still in ministry today as a result of what God did during that week. I can assure you, it was never planned in a staff meeting. It was never thought up that maybe we should do this because our school really needs this. <laughs> it could never have been scripted. It was simply the work of God. It was simply the move of the Holy Spirit. And God has done this kind of things, count, count, kind of thing countless times. I mean, we heard last week from Pastor Mark a great message about the day of Pentecost when the believers were there and they were praying Jesus, just as Jesus told them to do. And, and Jesus sent the Holy Spirit there in power upon them. And, and they, they pour out into the streets and they're speaking in other languages. They've got little tongues of fire hovering above their heads, right? Just miracles that are happening here. And, and people hear the good news and 3,000 people give their lives to the Lord that day. It's, it's an incredible thing. That these timid believers who were fearful, who were scared when Jesus had got crucified, now they are the ones who are empowered, who are filled, who are going out, and God is just doing so much. And we see this kind of, this thing happen that will become a, a recurring pattern throughout the book of Acts. Basically three things. First, that the Holy Spirit empowers the believers to do miracles. That the miracles come in one way or another. Second, the people see God's work. They see this, they observe it, they believe in it. And then third, that the people repent of their sins and they say yes to Jesus. And the book of Acts is different versions of this over and over and over. And how God grows this church from a little like 120 followers of Jesus into this massive movement that is literally changing the world that would lead to, well, us being here today. We see this over and over and over. Acts chapter 3, the, the, it continues on, and the, the uh, believers are coming to the temple to pray, because that's what they, where they would come. They were Jewish people, and they were coming to the temple to pray, and Peter and John, they come in, and they see this guy who's sitting there. He's 40, he's been, he's 40 years old. He's been uh, crippled for his entire life. He can't walk, which means in that kind of society that's mostly manual labor-based, he can't work either. So his job every day is to sit there and to beg. Another day, another dollar. It's all he can do. He's not expecting anything to happen that day. In fact, we know this because when Peter and John come up to him, they have to tell him, hey, look up at us. He wasn't even looking up. He's just sitting there as he does throughout the day. And oftentimes that's how we come to the presence of the Lord as well. We come in expecting very little. It'll be another hour. It'll be another sermon. It'll be a few more songs. Be, where are we going for lunch afterwards? I'm probably expecting more out of that than I am out of this. It happens. 
We get into the habit, we get into just the, the norm of this is what it is, and we, for some reason we lower our expectations. And we forget that when we pray, that when we sing, that, that when, we, when we encounter the word of God, that this is the power of the living God that we're dealing with. This is not just like, oh, a few staff people at church plan things and then we'll see what happens here. No, this is the power of God. If it's anything else, I don't want to be part of it. I don't deserve to be part of it. I can't do anything outside of the power of God. It's useless. It's worthless without that. It's the power of God that moves in our midst. And that day, Peter and John walk up to him. And Peter says, look at us. Here's the deal. I don't have silver or gold for you, he says, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. As he did, the man's feet and ankles were strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. And then walking and leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with them. And all the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar they had so often seen at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. Think about that. You, every time you've come to church, you've seen him there. He's always there. You've probably given him money time and time again. Maybe you've even said, God, thank you that I can walk, that I can help out, that I can be part of this, right? Every time you, you've seen him, you've done this. For, maybe you've been around a lot of years and decades and seen this. But that day, he's up. He's walking around, not just walking, he's leaping, he's praising God, he's so excited, he's hugging the believers, right? He's so pumped about this. That's going to get your attention. That's going to make you think, what is going on? How on earth could this guy possibly be walking? Once again, we've got, we've got this problem, we've got a crippled man, we, we've got a miracle, We've got then God's word will be proclaimed, and then we'll have massive repentance once again. The Bible, Luke, will tell us that by the end of the day that you've got now 5,000 people minimum as part of the church. It just keeps growing and growing and growing. It's revival. It's an example of what God had been promising for, for generations. Going way back to Old Testament times, there was another incredible day, one of the best days in Israelite history, where Solomon, King Solomon has built the temple, and they're dedicating this incredible temple to the Lord, right? And they're having sacrifice and celebration and song and all this kind of stuff. And, and there's a verse there, uh, that, that is spoken, that we're pretty familiar with, Second Chronicles 7.14. It says this, Then, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will restore their land. It's a powerful verse. It's a powerful verse. And it's, it's relevant to us today as, as the church Because it's spoken to the people of God, God's chosen people. Because when Jesus came, this is no longer anything for like one nation, right? The the nation of Israel, they were called to be set apart. They failed at it over and over and over. Jesus comes and he blows this thing wide open. It's not just for the Jew, it's for the Gentile alike. And and so so everyone is called to be part of this, this movement of God, this kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. 
But you see verse 14, it starts off with this word, then. And, and that means that we can't just take this verse, right, because there's a condition here. What's happening before this verse that leads to the then? Verse 12, if we back it up here. I've heard your prayer, and I've chosen this temple as a place for making sacrifice. At times, I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls, or command grasshoppers to devour your crops, or send plagues among you. Huh. That's not what I was hoping for. <laughs> the Previous to the then, I would have voted for something else, right? Like, I have chosen this temple. It's a powerful place. And when you come here and you worship and praise and everything is going great and you're so happy and you're so filled with joy and, and your life is, is blessed and you're prospering and you've got everything that you need and your, your kids are happy and your family members are happy and your marriage is good and, and, and your job is going well, all these wonderful things, then, then if my people who are called by my name... But nope, that's not what it says. It says that at times it's going to be rough. No rain. That's devastating in an environment, in an economy that's based on agriculture. So basically, your stock market's going to crash. You're going to have crummy days. You're going to think there's no hope. You're going to wonder if there is really a God. You're going to wonder, what is this temple here that we've dedicated to him? Is he even real anymore? Is he even powerful? Was that for previous generations? Is that just grandma's story? Is, is this God really alive? Does he really care about me? Would he really move in my life? Could we possibly see a movement of God? There's going to be those kind of times too. It's not always up and to the right. Because... We're sinners. We mess it up. I mess it up. There's times at which heaven seems so far off. There's times at which we pray and it seems like our prayers are hitting the ceiling and bouncing back to us. There's times at which we intentionally disobey God or we do things that, that quench the power of the Spirit in our lives. There's going to be these times. And this verse gives us some hope. This verse gives us some hope. That in the midst of those times, God never leaves us. <laughs> Revival comes so commonly in times where we're desperate, where we're hurting, where we recognize we can't do this on our own. This can't be our own effort. This can't be our own strength. It can only be the strength of the Lord. Revival is often born out of a season of, of desperation. There's birth pains that precede it. There's birth pains that precede it. We, we understand pain. Maybe you know it in your life. Maybe you felt it a lot over these past couple years of pandemic and suffering. Maybe as, as you watch the news of just evil, just evil war happening where, uh, where innocent people being slaughtered. Maybe, maybe it's other things in your life that you see and you say, oh God, are you real? Are you alive? Are you powerful? I'm not saying that those things are God's will, but I'm saying that God never stops working. God never gives up on us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He never fails us. 
then, then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins. I will restore their land. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. God, let it be so. Let it be so. It's, it's not us. It's not our creation. It's not our manufacturing. Our job is repentance. It's repentance. When we realize that, that revival doesn't come from a, a place of, of power or organization, that revival comes from a place of, of desperation, of being on my knees, saying, Lord, I need you. I don't have this. I don't have this together. I can't, I can't accomplish everything that you'd call me to accomplish. It's got to be you. It's got to be your strength. It's got to be your power. Forgive me for any time that I think I could somehow do this. I got nothing. I've got nothing without you. I just want you. I just want to see you. I just want to see you high and lifted up, Lord. And if you would do anything through that, I give you praise. And if it's just us saying, God, you are good, we're good with that too, God. Because we just want you. Just want you. And God, we know it's not for us. It's not just for us. But it's for this, for Anderson Township. It's for Mount Washington. It's for Cincinnati. You didn't make this place for us. People haven't been faithful here for 200 years just so we can have a nice building to sit in today, God. I just pray that you would use us somehow, God. That you would pour out your spirit, Lord, on us not so that anybody would be impressed by us, but so we could be empowered to do your works, God. That it would be your work moving in and through us, God. That you would touch this city, that you would touch Cincinnati by your power, God. We pray that you would, you would unite us with, with others, God, with other believers, there's, there's no competition here. Forgive us for times where we look at other churches and we think we're competing. What nonsense. God, would you just pour out your spirit on all the churches in Cincinnati, on all of us, God. Would you just use Anderson Hills as just one part, one part of that ministry, that work that you're doing, that, that revival that you want to bring to our area, God. It's yours, we just want you. We 
just want you. We see throughout Scripture how you use broken, unskilled, unimpressive people. And we just want to add our names to that list, God, of people who say yes to you, who are used by you for your power, your spirit, your move in our midst and in our city, God. We love you, Lord. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to share uh, another Holy Ghost story with you here. It's a a video of Eric Wilson, our worship leader, and he's going to share about why he and Ashley were called to come to this place and I think it's a powerful story of how God, uh, how God wants to use the church, the big C church, and how God is already using the church here in this area to make a difference for him. And while we uh, watch this video, if you're a communion s- server, I just invite you to come forward at this time. We're going to be receiving the Lord's Supper in a moment. So let's hear from Eric now. When Ashley and I first came to Anderson Hills, it was because in the interview process, the Spirit of God stirred our hearts for this church, for the people here. There was a movement of God already happening, and we were able to just jump in and watch this church set on fire and worship, and it's just been amazing. Uh, But there was something surprising in that first year that happened that I didn't expect as much, and it was that We had a stirring for Anderson Hills, but at the same time after we moved here, um, there was a stirring in our hearts for the city of Cincinnati. This was something so much further, so beyond just a liking where we live. This was a burden in my soul. And I just remember I started to pray and he led me to places all over the city I'd never been and I was praying and he was stirring my heart for those areas. And then I started to meet people just like me who had the same burden on their hearts. And I started to meet them every week. It was crazy. Like I would run into people all the time that would say that they had the same experiences that I did, that would say that they've been praying for revival in Cincinnati for decades, that had just moved to Cincinnati because they felt a stirring of the Lord. I went to home gatherings where people from all sorts of different churches were coming and just pouring out their hearts for the Lord in a way I'd never seen before. Ministries were arising. We started a ministry called Burn 24-7 in Cincinnati. And the heart of that is just to see the kingdom come to Cincinnati. An atmosphere of worship would outburst Since then, the Greater Cincinnati Prayer Canopy has come alive and people are praying 24-7 for the city. We've done events together, uh, one in particular where we mobilized people, over 200 people, to pray and worship on all seven hills of Cincinnati at the same time. We did a park tour where we just chose seven different parks in Cincinnati where we were going to go and just claim ground for the gospel. One time we were on Mount Adams and we were behind the old Rookwood restaurant and we were praying over the skyline and just claiming the city, just saying, Lord, come and dwell here. While there's been great division and um, comparison and competition and um, just arguments in our churches, at the same time, God is doing something special 
in our city, and I believe we're a part of it. I believe that our obedience and our yes as a church has been part of something much bigger than we even know. I believe the things that have been happening here in prayer and repentance and uh, breaking free and inner healing in Mount Washington at Salem and Sunday night, all of our program ministries, the Holy Spirit Conference, Thursday night dinners, Fresh Expressions, Embrace Grace, and all the other amazing ministries that are pushing forth the kingdom here in Cincinnati. And all of these things that we've been experiencing, the amazing part about it is while it is unto Anderson Hills and our growth, it's really unto the kingdom of God in Cincinnati. We've been called to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ, not just in our walls, but in our city. He's called us to claim the ground of our city to create a harvest for the lost to come back home in Cincinnati, for addictions to be broken, for, for worship to arise all over, for the truth of Jesus to be the thing that people hear the most in our city. And I believe he'll do it. If we humble ourselves, if we ask him, if we partner in something greater than just ourselves, the Lord could do an amazing thing. This is our lineage as Methodists. This is what happened to John Wesley. Something so far beyond him started to stir as he was just obedient to go on horseback and share the gospel. There was a harvest the world has never seen before. And I believe he wants to do it again. And I'm just asking you to pray for our city, to um, start to stir for it, to start to stir for a harvest, and to ask the Lord to come in a mighty way and do something so far beyond what we are able to do. And he's going to do it. Amen. I believe that. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that God is at work in so many ways. That, and, and this is really what communion is, is all about, when you think about it. That in communion, Jesus gave us instructions that that we are to do this as often as we will in remembrance of him. And, and we believe that when we receive this bread and this cup, that there is a strengthening of our spirit that happens as we experience, even participate in the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. But there's something powerful that we say as well as we do this. We pray this and we say, by your spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. You see, when we receive these elements, it's not just for us, it's for the world. It unites us with Christ. It unites us with each other so that we can go forth and be God's hands and feet in the world. The Holy Spirit Conference. I was standing right here and praying for people on the last night. And a guy came up to me and he handed me a piece of paper he had wrote on. And he, it's about 25 years old, and he said, I believe that the Lord has given me this word for Anderson Hills, and I want to read it to you this morning. I've been praying about when God would have us to hear it, and I believe today is the day. I saw wine being poured out from the heart of Christ. 
filling wineskins of prophetic people here. I saw these wineskins pouring out, forming a stream of wine flowing into a river, which I believe represented the city of Cincinnati. This wine turned into the blood of Jesus Christ, which filled the river where it was poured out and turned the river white with purity and cleansing of Jesus Christ. I sense that this community, this church, being a source of new anointing and outpouring of God's grace upon Cincinnati. Here's the kicker. This anointing has to be shared to give God the glory and to lead souls to Christ. Otherwise, wine sitting unused will spoil. It's who we're called to be. That God pours out his wine into us. And that as we go out into this city, that as we pray, that as we serve, as we speak God's word, that God uses us and other believers to change, to bring change. That is the power of God moving in and through us to change the world. But it doesn't work if we simply stuff it inside. If we say, oh, this is for us. No, it's not for us. This is the body of Jesus Christ, which was broken for the sins of the world, for the sins of Cincinnati, and for the sins of John Ferguson. I need it, you need it, and we all need it.